In lieu of our time with children today, we are focusing on one of our third graders who received their Bible at the beginning of this school year. And so we will have our reading by Maddie Cooper. Today's scripture is Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for us as well that God will open to us the door of the word that we may declare the mystery of Christ, for which I am in precision, so that I may reveal it as clearly as I should. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the most of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. This is the word of the Lord. Maddie, thank you so much for reading our scripture this morning. And I want to take a moment to thank our choir for that great anthem. I'm, I just had this idea. I don't know if you're all available, but could you meet me in Minneapolis this week on Friday? That would just be perfect for the memorial service. So thank you. That was just so stirring. Devote yourselves to prayer. Keep an alert with thanksgiving. Conduct yourselves wisely, making the most of the time. Today, we are nearing the end of our series on what light will you follow that we've focused upon throughout the winter. And the epistle to the Colossians has been our guide during these last weeks. And this particular weekend is President's Holiday, and so I'm trying in this sermon to attempt to bring these two streams together in some meaningful way. I want to consider this morning the importance of having some mission in life, some undertaking of great value that you're willing to undertake and even sacrifice for something worth striving for in life, an end towards which together we can give ourselves. The Apostle Paul clearly understood Christian faith as a placing us in this world with something to do and something to be making good use of our time, acting wisely and graciously. So let us this morning consider these words that we just heard Maddie read, but consider it under the light of our national history and who we are as a people. So will you join me as we pray together? Gracious and loving God, we have come this day to hear you, to hear a word from the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I want you to go back in time to some point in your study of history, of American history, 
You may remember the name of John Winthrop. John Winthrop was not a minister, but may have preached the best lay sermon in American history. And he preached to his Puritan followers long ago, and it went down as the city upon a hill speech. Students often learn of this speech during their college classes when they learn about what has come to be known as American exceptionalism. For the earliest settlers, there was no distinction between faith and public life. These things merged. All of life was to be lived by faith. And we hear Paul calling us to that life in the book of Colossians. As I read that sermon again this week, I thought, never underestimate the value of a good sermon. It's a contemporary, a more contemporary version would be something like Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. It can set a compass heading. It can lead a people into the future. Now, Winthrop allegedly delivered his sermon on July 2nd, 1630, when he was 43 years old. History scholars now debate the setting for that sermon, the timing of it with some vigor. Some even believe that the sermon was delivered in Southampton, England, before they ever left for the New World. Others believe that it was never preached at all. But it certainly makes a better story to have the setting for the sermon on the Arabella, the ship that brought the settlers to the New World. They landed in Massachusetts Bay Colony. By some accounts, the Puritans had only been there for 18 days at the time of the sermon. Winthrop's second son, Henry, had just drowned. Another Puritan ship, the Talbot, had arrived after 14 passengers had died during the voyage. And John Winthrop hadn't even left the Arabella yet when he delivered this sermon. And in it, he listed the qualities that he hoped these Puritan colonists would show to the world. Communal charity, affection, and unity. John Winthrop called it a model of Christian charity. Listen to his words. Now the only way to avoid shipwreck and to provide for our posterity is to follow the counsel of Micah, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God, he began. For this end, we must knit together in this work as one man. We must entertain each other in brotherly affection. We must be willing to abridge ourselves of our superfluities for the supply of others' necessities. We must uphold a familiar commerce together in all meekness and gentleness, patience and liberality. We must delight in each other, make others' conditions our own, 
rejoice together, mourn together, labor together, and suffer together, always having before our eyes commission and community in the work as members of the same body. And so shall we keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The Lord will be our God and delight to dwell among us as his own people and will command a blessing upon us in all our ways so that we shall see much more of his wisdom and power and goodness and truth than formerly we've been acquainted with. We shall find that the God of Israel is among us when ten of us shall be able to resist a thousand of our enemies and when he shall make us a praise and glory that men shall say of succeeding plantations, may the Lord make it like that of New England. For we must consider that we shall be as a city upon a hill, and the eyes of all people are upon us. End quote. Some historians believe that their real goal was not separation from the Church of England, like perhaps the pilgrims who were separatists, but actual reformation of the Church of England, thus New England. And Winthrop is using an image from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5.14. The King James reads, Ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. And Jesus himself is echoing the words of Isaiah in 42.6 with the famous claim, We shall be as a city upon a hill. The eyes of all people are upon us. Now John Winthrop had no idea that another 43-year-old a U.S. senator about to become president of the United States would use his words from on top of a hill. 331 years would pass before President-elect John Kennedy climbed the Massachusetts State House steps on top of Beacon Hill to deliver his farewell speech to the general court. He'd flown into Boston the day before, and he spent the night in a small Beacon Hill apartment that had served as his official home since 1946. And in 11 days, he would take the oath of office as President of the United States. He'd already made arrangements for that day. He chose formal wear for men to wear in the Fitzgerald family Bible for the swearing of the oath of office. But on January 9th, 1961, Kennedy met with the Harvard Board of Overseers and he drove back to Boston to deliver his first speech since the election. And he entered the Massachusetts House of Representatives chamber to a thunderous applause. And then he delivered his famous City on a Hill speech. Kennedy said Massachusetts had always been his home, whether he'd been in Washington, London, or the South Pacific. He carefully admitted that he and his family lived in New York for a long period of time. But it wasn't provincial pride, he said, 
that caused him to hope that his grandchildren would be born in the Commonwealth. It was the contribution Massachusetts had made to the nation's greatness. The enduring qualities of Massachusetts, the common threads woven by the pilgrim and the Puritan, the fisherman and the farmer, the Yankee and the immigrant, will not be and could not be forgotten in this nation's executive mansion, he said. They are indelible parts of my life, my convictions, my view of the past, my hopes for the future. Kennedy reminded his audience that history would judge public servants on their courage, their judgment, their integrity, and their dedication. We must always consider, he said, that we shall be as a city upon a hill, and the eyes of all people are upon us. Afterwards, people compared Kennedy's speech to Abraham Lincoln's farewell speech to the citizens of Springfield, Illinois. And Kennedy himself worried that the speech was too good, that it would overshadow his inaugural address, but it didn't. But then, 1979, another president spoke of a spiritual crisis in the United States, and he called for the renewal of Americans' faith in each other. President Jimmy Carter's speech came to be known as the Malaise speech, though he himself never used the word. Quote, we must make each other's conditions our own. We must be willing to abridge ourselves of our superfluities for the supply of others' necessities. End quote. Jimmy Carter made no direct reference to Winthrop's sermon, and that malaise speech is now notorious for its political miscalculation. Carter's efforts to call Americans to win back to call Americans back to the Puritan social and ethical ideas proved rather unpersuasive. Just 16 months later, Ronald Reagan defeated him for the presidency. But Reagan himself also appropriated this speech by John Winthrop. For him, the Puritans were merely capitalists in the making. Over the next eight years of his presidency, on at least 30 different occasions, Reagan echoed Winthrop's speech, to which he added his own flourish, calling it a shining city on a hill. Reagan's shining city bore little resemblance to Carter's anxious nation. Rather, it was a triumphant image of American power and prosperity and eminence, a movie-set city, according to Daniel Rogers' new, books, new book entitled Vexed and Troubled Englishman. It appears that every generation 
of Americans imagine somehow its own version of the ongoing challenge of living in a new world. Because the world is ever new. In our time, we have enormous challenges to face. And sadly, American exceptionalism has been blamed for any number of problems that we have faced. But it seems to me American unexceptionalism is no good alternative. American exceptionalism has contributed to a certain sense of manifest destiny. Perhaps you've seen, as I have lately, Michael Bloomberg's new ads. He claims he's going to put the United back in the United States. It's a contemporary version of this same vision for the future. Each and every one of us and all of us together need a point of reference to find our way in life. We need some great cause for which we're living. And our own entertainment will never be enough. Individually and together, we need a better vision of the future for which we're willing to strive and even make sacrifices in order for that vision to be realized. Now, it seems to me that back in the time, colonial times, the Arabella had to use navigation system for making its way to New England using certain celestial objects as a point of reference. This is long before the time of GPS. Mariners were guided by the lights in the heavens. Somewhat later in history, the use of sextants came along, which provided a helpful way of navigating, particularly at night. And according to Wikipedia, the primary use of a sextant is to measure the angle between an astronomical object and the horizon for the purpose of celestial navigation. The estimation of this angle, the altitude, is known as sighting or shooting the object or taking a sight. And the angle and the time in which it is measured can be used to calculate a position line on a nautical or an aeronautical chart. For example, you can sight the sun or the noon, excuse me, the sun at noon or Polaris at night in the northern hemisphere. And it allows you to estimate your latitude. It seems to me we need a sextant that we might, by some celestial light, find our way. What light will you follow? What point of reference in the heavens will light your path? The world is ever new. What exceptionalism are you willing to believe in? What city on a hill are you willing to build to avoid shipwreck? and to provide for our posterity. This week I had an opportunity to attend a luncheon down at USC, a luncheon on homelessness. 
Invited by our own member Kristen Todd and joined by Reverend Jan Cook, we listened as experts tried to describe the extent of the problem we're facing in this city on a hill, the city of angels. In 2019, 59,000 people experienced homelessness. That's a 52% increase between 2010 and 2018, and a 24% increase in youth homelessness in just one year between 18 and 2019. And the majority of the people, the adults, who are living on our streets have lived in Los Angeles County for over 20 years. As I'm sure we'll hear from Andy Bales in a couple of weeks, these are our neighbors. Now I can think of worse visions than that of John Winthrop for our future. Let's not throw out the baby with the bathwater. I'm a little tired of deconstruction. For this end, we must knit together in this work as one. We must entertain each other in brotherly affection. We must be willing to abridge ourselves of our superfluities for the supply of others' necessities. We must uphold a familiar commerce together in all meekness and gentleness, patience and liberality. We must delight in each other, make others' conditions our own, rejoice together, mourn together, labor together, and suffer together, always having before our eyes commission and community in the work as members of the same body. And so shall we keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And the Lord will be our God. This is Paul's vision for the church as a light among the nations. So devote yourselves to prayer, keeping vigilant, alert with thanksgiving. Conduct yourselves wisely. Make the most of the time. Let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, because you are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. What light will you follow? Jesus Christ is God's north star. What has come into being in him is life. And that life is the light of all people. That light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Thanks be to God. Amen.